negative space is the, is the space between uh, the visible and the focal point, or the, uh, the space that is around the focal point. And I'm talking about in, in graphics arts or visual arts when you see a, a painting, perhaps a painting of, a, uh, of the ocean, and all you see is the water and the sky, and maybe there's a sailboat, right? Everything's making a focus in on that sailboat. The rest of it is all negative space, or they call it white space or empty space. That makes you focus in on the, what's the, fo- on the focal point. Well, on uh, graphic designs, negative space can also be the space in between, or particularly in the use of logos. It's something that is something you really don't see right away. It's almost an optical illusion, but that is actually, it's drawing you in. So you can see this in all types of logos. Perhaps the most famous is in the logo of FedEx. You've all seen this logo. Did you guys know in the middle of FedEx there's actually an arrow in between the E and the X? I mean, you don't think of that. You just see FedEx. It's all you see, right? FedEx. But yet in the middle of this, is there, there's a negative space, which points to error, which conveys of, of caring or going a direction or losing your packages, whatever it may be <laughs> with FedEx. Uh, yeah, right. And then uh, if there's another one. I'll just give you another one that I really like is the Bronx Zoo. Right? The Bronx Zoo. Right, you see giraffes and some, I guess, seagulls. I don't, right, seems appropriate for Bronx Zoo. Seagulls. But in the midst of the legs, right, there are the skyscrapers of New York, right? It's quite brilliant, in fact, right? But you don't notice it right away. But it conveys a message, right, that it's in the Bronx, it's in, you know, in New York, and there's giraffes. All kinds of logos. When you, when you look at logos or things like that, look and see if you can see, focus in on the negative space because they're usually trying to convey something to you. Paul uses the same kind of logic or same kind of understanding to help us understand the eternal, which is in the negative space of the temporal. It's in the, it's in the, the eternal is always present in this visual Visible, temporal life. He gets at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying here is that in the circumstances, in all the moments, that what we see and then what we feel, they're all temporary. They're all temporary, and they're not meant to be the focal point. Now, that's very hard because what I see and what I feel, sometimes that's all I can focus on. And Paul's saying that's not clearly, that is not supposed to be the focal point of your life. That all of that is actually supposed to be pointing you to the negative space. If we look closely, if we pay attention, God is always present. God is always there people that don't even believe in God. God is always there. And Paul says, look beyond the temporal. Look beyond your current circumstances and realize God is there. 
God is working. Look to the negative space in the moments of your life. There God is. And I'm not talking about negative as in emotions, right? But negative, it's, it's there. God is present. All this, all these things that we see, the glitz and the glitter and the, all the visual reality, that is not real. I mean, it's, it's real. I mean, I'm not saying this all fake, but it, in comparison to the reality of eternity and the reality of who God is, it is all a mist, a vapor that fades away. And those of us who have gotten older realize, right, it's pretty much after the age of 21, 22, your body begins to decay. You, you never regroup from that, right? You cannot get back to it. There's, there's a point where your body continues to grow and gain strength, and then it's just a slow, steady decline. <laughs> Boom, right? This is what it is. And he said, look beyond that and see that this is all momentary and there's something internal and God is present. For God's perspective, the negative spaces in our life are the real spaces, are the eternal spaces. We don't see them clearly. We don't feel them clearly because our spiritual vision is distorted by sin and brokenness and idolatry. Many approach Jesus when circumstances are dire, that come to Jesus moment, when their life feels like it's in chaos. And certainly that's a good time to come to Jesus. Many approach Jesus because all they see is the visible positive space in their life and they can't handle it. And so they come to Jesus thinking he can handle it for them. Many approach Jesus wanting to change their visible, temporal, and their painful circumstances. Many approach Jesus as healer, as a fixer-upper, ones that can just put some lipstick on and fix, make things look a lot better than they are. Few approach him as king. Few approach him as Lord. Few approach him as God. When Jesus heals, when Jesus changes your circumstances, the purpose is always to reveal the negative space in your life. Jesus isn't really concerned about temporal circumstances. I mean, he is. I know I'm going to make him feel callous like that, but there is something more important to him. The purpose is to reveal himself. When Jesus doesn't heal, when Jesus doesn't change your circumstance, he still wants you to see the negative space in your life. He still wants you to see him. You see, one of the things about the gospel is that it is inside out. And we want the gospel to be outside in. Change my circumstance and then let it change me. And Jesus says, no, I'm about changing you. And we'll see what happens with your circumstances. Jesus gives eyes and ear, heart, the eyes of our heart to see who he is. The truth of who he is and the truth of the reality around us. 
When we hear this story this morning, when we read this story, do not take it as a story, a prescription of how to get Jesus to heal you or to change your circumstance. Do hear this story as a prescription to look for God in every moment and to see how he is working. Do hear this story as a prescription to come and before him as Lord all the time. Do hear this story to learn how to trust Jesus for who he is and not just what he does for you. So far in the, in the Gospel of John, we've served Jesus has been rejected by religious leaders, those that have ought to have known him. He's offered eternal life to Nicodemus at night when Nicodemus approached him, who was a religious leader, approached him in secrecy. He offered eternal life to immoral Samaritan woman. Now, as Jesus travels back north from Judea, Back into Galilee, he encounters an official from Capernaum. Now, this official would have been a servant of King Herod. King Herod would have been the king of the Jews. He would, he's not a Gentile. He is a Jewish. And this official would have been Jewish. But he serves a corrupt king. Herod was certainly corrupt. This official approaches Jesus. Hear this in John 4, 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He approaches Jesus out of desperation. His circumstances are dire. It doesn't say that he actually knows who Jesus is, but all he does is he's heard about what Jesus has done in some part. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus hasn't done too much at this moment. But there has been crowds around him. There has been stories that have been told. And we know he must have heard something. But we do know that he is desperate. He is desperate because his son is dying. And when, you are, when your family is hurt and when your health is failing, you will do anything, won't you? You will do anything. Most people will. This is, this is actually one of the issues of why our health care costs are out of control in this country. I'm not going to tell you what the solution to that is, but this is one of the reasons, because when you and I are sick in a free market, you and I are going to pay anything or do anything to be healthy. There is no bottom to this pit. How much money, we, Jesse and I often talk about, right, I'm, I'm a chronic asthmatic, I have to pay a lot of money so that I can breathe. Now, I want to let you know, breathing is one of those fundamental things in life. Right? But there's a lot of things that are medicines that are really cheap that really aren't fundamental. But breathing is one of those. It costs me over $500 a month for my medications so that I can breathe. Now, I am thankful that I have a great congregation that supports me. Quite a bit. And oddly enough, I just want to say this. This is oddly enough. My insurance actually went down this year, my health insurance. I actually called up the insurance like, are you sure? This never happens, right? But sometimes miracles do happen. We also know that those of us are parents, the greatest pain in life is not our pain. 
but pain to our children. When our, when our children hurt, whether it's physical or emotional, we can't get our mind off of it. We want to do anything to solve it, yet we know that we are hopeless on those things. So we understand when this guy comes, when his son is dying, you can imagine he's willing to try anything or do anything, and he doesn't even know Jesus. Maybe he can help. This is a last-ditch effort. Let's see what this man can do. Let's see what Jesus can do. In John 4, 48, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, although he says this directly to the man, he says it to the whole crowd because the yous in this sentence are plural. I mean, it's a, it's a you all. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you know, none of you will believe. That's what he's saying to the whole crowd. So he's not directly just to the man. It's the same kind of concept that we've heard in John 2, 23, 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem and the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. Right, so Jesus knows that we have this issue that we want to see miracles, we want circumstances change, and we want to see powerful things. It's like, oh, then we'll believe. He gets in the same kind of concept before in John 6, 26, 27. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, which is a sign and a wonder. And he goes on, do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. I mean, all this Jesus saying is stop looking at the things that are visible and present that are right in front of you. Look at the negative space in your life. Look for the eternal in the right in front of you. Look for me. A faith that holds Jesus as exclusively as a healer and a temporary provider of relief is fundamentally flawed and really just treats Jesus as Tylenol. It's the issue with the health and wealth gospel and misses the point what Jesus is trying to do. Spiritual transformation. Rebirth from the inside out. Healing and miracles, signs and wonders cannot compel genuine faith. However, at times in the gospel, Jesus used miracles. And at times in our lives, he will use miracles. All of them to point to the negative space. All of them meant to point to who he is. Even the cross, even the cross, the death and resurrection, they are a sign and a miracle and a wonder, but they are to point to who he is. Everything on the cross points to that he is God. And of course, in the resurrection, that he is Lord. Jesus is always saying, look beyond the miracles. Look to who I am. And he doesn't always heal, does he? 
he doesn't always heal. Certainly, he doesn't heal everyone in the Gospels. We only hear a few things. And certainly, there might have been a few more that he healed. But we know in our lives, he doesn't heal everyone. Never, nor is it a promise he ever makes that I will heal all your temporal, physical ailments. In John 4.49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I love that response by the father, by this official. You see, he's not really interested in Jesus' theological debate at this moment. Right? Jesus says, well, you, know, you have to see signs and wonders for you to believe, right? And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. All I know, he's saying, is my child is dying. Can you heal him? I'm not really interested in the Christological debate or what do I have to believe in or not. I'm interested in my child is dying. That's the heart of a parent. Just come. Just come before he dies. And then in verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What's fascinating is Jesus doesn't comply with his request, does he? The man says, come, come heal my, my son. But Jesus says, go, go. Your son will live. And he doesn't go see the child. We're not told how Jesus said this statement. I wish we were. I wish there was like some kind of audio recording that we could hear Jesus' tone. We're never given any indication of the tone that Jesus says. We don't know why Jesus heals. We do know that he's Lord. And what's fascinating is the man doesn't get to see the healing of his son. He just gets to hear the words, go, and your son will be healed. And he has a 15-mile walk to get back to his son. So this doesn't just happen. Right, he doesn't pick up the transit and get there. This is over a day's walk to get to his son. All he does is hears the word of his, the, Jesus and says, your son will live. Go back to him. He believes those words, but that's a long walk. That's a long time. I think part of the point is, is even the way that Jesus heals in this moment is that you actually don't need to see the signs and wonders. He says it. He says that you don't need to see it. And then he doesn't even let the man see it right away. He lets him live with those words. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to trust in his words. That's part of the point that he's getting at. One of the things that this goes out to, and we actually had to deal with this in the presbytery recently in our examinations, but it's this concept of the impassibility of God. You see, Jesus isn't manipulated by the man. I mean, he heals the son, but we don't know why he heals it. We do know he doesn't comply with the request. He doesn't go down. And here's what the impassibility of God is, right? Is that God has, uh, his desires and passions are unchangeable. His, his desires and passions and emotions are not like our emotions. They do not ebb and flow. They are constant. They are unchanging. They, they never sway. 
God's love never ebbs and flows. It's always constant. It always is. And therefore, this idea, because of this is important, that God uh, is not vulnerable in suffering in his divine essence of who he is. And therefore, he is capable of rescuing the world that is drowning in suffering. He's always consistent in who he is. You and I are not this way. It's not how we experience. It's not how we live out emotions. But God, his impassionability, it does not change. He's unchanging, and even in this moment. So when God doesn't heal, his passions and desires have not changed. His purpose for your life has not changed. And when God does heal, his passions and his purpose has, does not change. His love does not fall, change in the midst of all of that. That's the understanding of the impassibility of God, of who he is. What is inferred is in, this, in this passage is that Jesus spoke with an incredible authority. We don't know the tone, but you can imagine that the father who's desperate to see his son And Jesus tells them, go, your son will live. That somehow authority and power were conveyed to this father. But whatever means that he believed in the words of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but on that 15-mile walk, I would have had a lot of doubt after I believed But have you ever spoken to someone that spoke with authority and conviction and truth and you just knew what they're saying was true? I'm not talking about people that speak loudly or people that demand authority. I'm talking about more of that that, that parent voice when you know that you're really in trouble and they get really soft and serious, you're like, oh, I'm going to take what they say very seriously and very truthfully. I think this is that moment plus a whole lot more to convince a desperate man who's going to lose his son. Those must have been words or something that conveyed some kind of authority. That must have been some tone. In verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them at the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Remember, it was this 15-mile journey from Cana to, to Capernaum. So he had time to think. They gave him the news that his son had recovered. They gave him the time, and he connected the dots. He connected the dots. It was to the moment when Jesus said, your son will live. Before that, we're told in this passage that he believed, that he trusted in the words of Jesus. In the words. Trust that Jesus would do that for him in this moment. But he didn't get to see it. Now it says, he still hasn't seen his son. 
Now it's said by witnesses. That said, your son is recovered and he connects not. Now he has faith in who Jesus is. Because let me tell you, it's one thing to go to a doctor, right? And we go to a doctor, he gives you medicine and you feel better. It's one thing than to talk to a doctor over the phone and then you feel better? I mean, this is 15 miles away. Jesus doesn't need to be physically present. He just needs to will someone to be better. And they're better. Who can do that? Who can do that? This man knew. This man that knew that the only one who had the power to heal, the only one who had the power to create life out of death is God. Every Jewish person knew this. That Jesus spoke life 15 miles away. Only God is the one that creates out of nothing. Only God is the one who creates with his words. This is what we get in the story of Genesis. Only God creates with his will. And, and hear this very clearly. God's will for your life is not for every one of you to be physically healed. Because this is what is true in our life. If he doesn't come back, all of us will go to the grave. All of us will die of some ailment physically. But Jesus has a greater purpose, doesn't he? If he can, in those temporal things, bring life back from death, he can certainly, by his will, by his will, his desire that's impassable, unchangeable, can bring life to you and to I, which is his purpose. And now, now the father has a saving faith because he begins to believe who Jesus is. He begins to see beyond the temporal and he begins to see the negative space. Saving faith is contagious. It's contagious. And what does the father do? You see, the people that were left behind, they were just with the son. Perhaps his wife, perhaps his other children, perhaps his extended family. It's only him that actually hears the words of Jesus. And what does he do when he goes back and he sees that his son is healed and he's connected to dots? He tells his whole household, because it says, then his whole household believed, believed in Jesus. You see, when you have a faith that changes you and you begin to see in the negative space and you begin to see that Jesus is Lord, that faith is contagious. That faith doesn't stay with you. That faith spills out of you. C.S. Lewis gets at this idea, right? When he says, the consummation of our joy is praise. And if, if, if our salvation, if knowing that Jesus is Lord is being united with him, is our joy, which it is, the joy, then the consummation of that joy is to celebrate it and to tell everyone about it. Man, if, if I see a good movie, if I have, if I, I mean, like, if you want to talk to me about you too, I will talk to you about you too. And I will tell you that. And if you do not like them, I will be upset because you need to share my joy. That's what, that's what joy is. And, and, and C.S. Lewis gets, talks about this in his uh, 
words about in the Psalms, he says, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. You see, when you're in that love, you need to express it over and over again because that's the consummation of the joy. It's not just experiencing the joy, it's expressing it over and over again. And so it is with our faith that we need to express it. It flows out of it. So if you're not sharing your joy, what I'm telling you is, man, you're not really experiencing it. You want to experience the joy that Jesus is Lord, let it outflow of your life. Tell others. Tell others that Jesus is healing you from the inside out. So the question I might have for you then, if that is true, that this, the consummation of joy is praise, that are you joyful today? Are you joyful with God? Why are you joyful with him? Are you joyful because God is your uh, provider of health? Because you're well? I mean, that's certainly a thing to be glad about, to be joyful about. Are you joyful because Jesus is beautiful? that he is loving, that he is kind? Or are you joyful that Jesus is beauty and that he is joy and that he is love? Are you joyful because Jesus has a bigger plan for your life than you can ever imagine? It's bigger than their circumstances right now. Are you joyful because he is Lord in every moment of your life? If you're joyful, the consummation of that joy reveals itself in sharing that joy. No matter your circumstances, telling the world who Jesus is. Not just because what he has done, and certainly that is magnificent, but by the very nature of who he is. We are to look in the negative spaces in this world because Jesus is always working. He's always working for your good. He's always doing something for you. We will always find Jesus present. Don't be distracted by the glitz and the glitter and the shiny things of the transient of the temporal. Don't be distracted or overwhelmed by the pain of your circumstances. And I know that is easier said than done. Trust me, I am not very good with pain. Any little bit. Hangnails, I, can't, I cannot help but not focus on it. And any kind of serious pain, forget about it. And yet Jesus is saying, look beyond that moment. I am present. I am here. I am doing something. And I have a plan and purpose that does not change. The circumstances that are in your life are not something that has surprised Jesus. They're not something like, man, I have to overcome this to create out my plan and purpose in your life. 
No, no, far from it. He is Lord. Jesus is present, and he has an impassable purpose and an impassable love that is greater for you than this moment or any moment that you're in. Don and Glenna Ryan lost, uh, Don lost his mother recently, and uh, I got to meet Nana, as I call her. Uh, and Nana was 95, and I got to be at, at the wedding with Kelly. And, and Kevin, which Don and Glenn, the son here, did this incredible tribute to his uh, grandmother, to Nana, about her. And one of the things that he actually presented was uh, that one of the things that was most memorable to us is that Nana always had this sign uh, that was in her home, that was in the negative space. And in the negative space, it, right, it had the words Jesus. And like, he could never see the words Jesus. He just saw the wood blocks, right? And, and that's all he could see. In the, like, but Nana would tell him, no, Jesus is there. If you look hard enough, you'll see it. And then as he got older, he eventually saw the words Jesus. And, and then sometimes he couldn't, and then sometimes he could. But she always told him, he is there. In every moment, Jesus is present, and we can see him, and we can be with him, and he is always with us. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, again, it says, we are, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I mean, imagine that you actually say to yourself every moment, don't look to the things that are seen. What is the unseen right now? For the things that are seen are transient. They go away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In all your moments, in all your circumstances, we look to Jesus. We look to the negative spaces of this world and you will find Jesus. In fact, the negative spaces of this up-down world are actually the positive spaces in the kingdom of God. It's the real thing. Trust in Jesus, even though you might not be able to see him, and you might not be able to see his life-saving work in you or around you. And as you find him, and as you do see him, share him. Share the praise of the joy. Share the praise of joys to others. To complete your joy, share it so that they may see him in all the negative spaces in their life as well. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, gracious Father, I am thankful that you are Lord. I'm thankful that you are our Lord of my life and the Lord of so many of others. I'm thankful that you have taken my broken heart and you have captured it. For I will have never seen you, Lord. And I would have never thought to have looked for you unless you begin your work in me. And Lord, I ask you to begin your work and to show me your work in so many others. Show me what you're doing in me today. Help me to look beyond my circumstances. Help us to look beyond this moment and to see you. And Lord, those that do not know you now, 
Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they see your plan and purpose and they see your beauty and they see you. They don't come to you just for what you can do, but they come to you for who you are. You are good, Lord. You only are good. We love you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your love that is unchangeable. Grow us in our love for you today. And then do it again tomorrow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.